This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today here on this Wednesday, February 23rd. It's a Wednesday. The markets are open and things are moving. We see that continued volatility in the grain markets continue today. We'll talk to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing here later on in the program. We're also going to talk fertilizer. We have heard a lot of comments about the tariffs that were put on from the Department of Commerce against fertilizer coming in from Morocco. Well, a lot of that fertilizer comes from OCP. The fertilizer company and we'll talk to their director or excuse me their chief growth officer kevin kim from ocp north america here in segment three on the show and we are going to be discussing the u.s grains council annual meeting next they had that discussion international trade world is weird in 2022 we're going to hear how these international grains traders are making things work but first about three or four years ago, we saw a lot of alternative proteins come on the market. These, in the world of, uh, of cattle producers, we've often heard them derided as fake meat, but they have found a home amongst consumers. And now that they've been out there a little while, researchers are looking into just what these alternative proteins might end up doing to beef demand. One of the researchers who has been studying this is Dr. Glenn Tonser. He's a professor of ag econ at Kansas State University. Glenn, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Let's talk. You recently conducted a study. You, Jason Lusk, and Ted Schroeder got together, and you did a study on the impacts of new plant-based protein alternatives on U.S. beef demand. Glenn, before we get into the numbers, let's talk definitions. What is a protein alternative that you guys were looking at in this report? Yeah, in the space of this assessment, and it was requested by the uh, beef board, so beef checkoff supported, uh, done during the, band, uh, the pandemic, when we say the term plant-based protein, I mean, first and foremost, we're not talking about cell-based and other you know, future items that don't exist today. And think um, Impossible Burger, Beyond Meat, that type of, it's not just those companies, but those types of products that are already in existence, you can find them in many grocery stores around the country and quite a few restaurants at this point. So we're talking about products that are in existence as opposed to those that are in development yet to come. They're in existence, Glenn, and they're finding buyers out there. As you were conducting this study, where did you find that alternative proteins were making, I guess, the largest inroads into the traditional meat demand sector? Well, the, the first thing it's most important to appreciate is beef is still chosen more than three times often than plant-based. So where that statement's coming from is, you know, we did a large survey and we asked, you know, what did you have the prior day? So if you had beef, you told us, you had plant-based, you told us, you had chicken, you told us, so forth. Um, and beef is still way more prevalent than plant-based. So before I can tell you who, kind of the magnitude is important. And related to that, I would argue the most important point in our study was over half of those that currently consume a plant-based protein also consume another meat item, beef, pork, or chicken. So it's not necessarily or, at times it's and. And in particular, we think it's the, or we document here, it's the flexitarians. So, you know, that's a term, a diet descriptor. Um, yours truly here would be a regular meat consumer. Uh, I almost always have meat in each of my three meals. Uh, that goes back to my roots and so forth, of course. Uh, and then at the other extreme, you have vegan vegetarians where meat's not a part of their diet. Well, in between is a flexitarian that has meat in their diet, but not as prevalent, right? So they sort of intentionally have certain meals that don't include meat. And that component of consumers is really where we see both plant-based and you know, mainstream livestock-based meat products uh, retaining the space in their diet. All right, Glenn, I, let's talk a little bit about the survey that you conducted and really who you reach. Because as I think about alternative proteins, I imagine, and this might be stereotypical, there's a greater uptake of them in urban areas versus rural areas because of the upbringing that, you know, we share in rural areas where, where meat is prized. Can you tell us who you surveyed and were there any geographical uh, uh, indications that perhaps these markets were bifurcating differently? Yeah, so we did this national survey and it was nationally representative of our country and we did the data collection in the fall of 2020. Uh, so it was during the pandemic, that's of note here. 
Um, and the point about it being nationally representative is important also. So, you know, we have more respondents from California than we have from Kansas. I'm sitting here because more of our population is there. But we have a sample for everybody around the country. Uh, to answer your question directly, the consumers that are more likely to be purchasing plant-based products tend to be younger. They tend to have children under the age of 12. They tend to have higher household incomes. They reside in what we call a Western state, and that's really the U.S. Census, uh, California, Oregon, state of Washington, and so forth, and they affiliate with the Democratic Party. So I rattled off the characteristics we found are statistically significant, and that sort of profiles who the main plant-based protein buyers are. Well, then let's talk about what this means longer term. Glenn, this study, as you mentioned, was commissioned by the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Obviously, the cattle industry has a vested interest in trying to foresee what demand is going to look like down the road. As alternative proteins continue to proliferate, I guess, A, do you think they will continue to proliferate? And B, what's the long-term impact on beef demand specifically? Is this going to hurt the industry long term? So there's several things there. Uh, first and foremost, a little bit outside of this study, uh, and I'm clarifying this, this is mainly just the tones or opinion, is I, I would anticipate that the current plant-based offerings and the future you know, offerings of them are probably going to become more um, cost-effective produce. So we have to recognize the technology is still evolving there. That is relevant because of what we, the economists would call cross-price effects. So consumers that are most price-sensitive that might be thinking about an adjustment whether that is away from beef, pork, or chicken, it's not just a beef story, uh, needs to monitor that. So when you look forward, as that new protein source becomes more economically produced, it's going to be important for not just beef, but pork and chicken to also monitor. The second part that I just kind of alluded to there is the price of beef itself has a much larger impact on the decision to buy beef than the price of plant-based. So I just got done telling you we got to monitor the price, and I do believe that because there could be some notable improvements uh, on the technological side of plant-based production. But nonetheless, for most folks, it's going to take a large price decline, given their current preferences for where they get the protein, to switch away from beef. So I anticipate we're going to see ongoing uh, minor adjustment, is what I'm alluding to, but maybe not major, because things like taste, uh, the role of nutrition that's well documented, and the role of iron in your diet and so forth, that beef holds a favorable view in the eyes of consumers on. Uh, probably has many years of legs to it. Well, that's good to hear. And Glenn, consumer perspective of our industry certainly matters. They are not just consumers, they're also voters looking at how the, the beef business is regulated. Did your survey dig up any points that showed where consumers might have concerns with uh, livestock production in this country? No, that wasn't the focus of this, Mike. I mean, there's others that have you know looked into that, but this stayed more in the you know, what do you buy? Why do you buy it? What's the perception of beef versus plant-based? You know, how would your choices change if this item got a dollar cheaper? You know, those are the kind of things we dove into. Um, we revealed, you know, the importance of price. Chicken breast price and beef price matter more than plant-based price. So we were staying in that lane rather than, you know, kind of are you aware of regulations and how they may or may not be changing in the industry? That would be a separate project. All right. Well, there is a lot of projects ahead in the livestock space. Glenn Tonser, professor of ag economics at Kansas State University. Thanks for coming on and talking about the research you've done on the impact of these plant-based proteins. Thanks for having me on, Mike. And folks, stick around. When we return, we'll talk to Chad Willis, chairman of the U.S. Grains Council, about their recent meeting and what the international grain marketplace might look like in 2022. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station.
As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, when we think about the world of agriculture, it is true that we are global. When you think of, uh, well, really, just look at the markets today. Soybeans up 25 cents today. We've got corn in the black again. We've got wheat screaming higher, 19, 18, 20 cents in several of the contracts. Global events are impacting our prices. We're seeing concern over Russia and the Ukraine spill over into support for U.S. grains. International trade is vital for American farmers, and several feed grain growers have gotten together at the U.S. Grains Council, and they have been promoting U.S. grains around the world this past week they held their winter meeting in greenville south carolina to bring us up to speed on what they talked about the chairman of the u.s grains council board of director chad willis is joining me chad how are you doing today i'm doing well thanks for having me i appreciate this well thanks for the opportunity to fill us in on what you guys discussed as you gathered there in greenville north carolina what was on the minds of the u.s grains council members who were getting together down there well, I'd say first off, just getting together after two years of Zoom, I mean, there's a lot of uh, excitement to be in person again and to see the conversations off to the sideline and after the meetings. Uh, it was just great to get together in person. But uh, Absolutely. there are many. Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I hear that from everybody once we start getting back together. And you guys were gathering really to talk about trade. That was one of the, the main themes. I understand Catherine Tai gave a presentation. Chad, what did you learn about the Biden administration approach to trade? Well, they're just uh, taking it one step at a time. You know, they're they're working with China, trying to hold China accountable on the uh, agreement that the previous administration had made. And, uh, you know, it's slow, steady steps. It is. It is slow and steady. Chad, fill us in. Who all was gathered there? Were these folks just the American U.S. Grains Council members? Or did you have people joining you also from around the world? We had our staff from around the world. I'd say we had over 25 staff from outside the U.S. borders that were there to help during the team meetings and to present uh, what's going on in their countries and what U.S. Grains has running on the ground in their countries. So, this, one, this meeting is a chance for our grower leaders and industry to actually talk to the people that are on the ground running the programs overseas for us. 
Okay. Well, as we think about running these programs, I mean, getting anything done on the international stage has been a challenge with COVID. What were the update you were receiving from staff from around the world? What are some of the big challenges they're facing this year? Well, they face just like here in the U.S. I mean, you know, ethanol promotion has been huge on our radar and uh, just trying to get into markets in different countries. You know how hard it is here in the U.S. to deal with government officials and get it into the marketplace. Well, we'll try dealing with that in multiple countries at the same time, and that's what we're doing with the ethanol end of it. The the grains, uh, you know, that's that's been kind of status quo as far as uh, – some of the programs on the ground, you know, some of the new countries would be India that we're getting into. We're going to open an office in India real soon. So, uh, yeah, start establishing programs in India because there will be a huge market there. We hope for ethanol and our distillers, greens and corn. Shad, let's focus on that India market a little bit here. A few weeks ago, we had, a, had John Holzman on the program, and he said that he sees India as being a real driver for America's, uh, it was particularly ag exports going forward. On the feed grain side, you mentioned ethanol. How long do you think it's going to take India to put a cohesive ethanol plan together? And how is the U.S. Grains Council working to help shape that? Well, we do like we do in most countries. You go in and find uh, officials on the ground in their country to to be backers of it and just start working it from there. They they do import a lot of U.S. ethanol, but it's for industrial use at this time. So, But we feel if we can crack into their fuel market, that could be a huge market for us. Yeah, lots of people, lots of folks buying cars and air quality is a major concern in India. It certainly seems like ethanol would be a good fit. On the other export portraits or pictures, I should say, Chad, is do you think China has been a huge buyer this past two or three years? As you were talking, as the industry is looking out to 2022, where do you see China fitting in? Are they going to remain a major purchaser of, uh, of U.S. feed grains? You know, they need they need a lot of grain over there. Uh, you know, they'll buy on the world market. But, yes, they, they've been a good customer this, this past year as far as corn goes. And, uh, you know, we're hopeful with ethanol over there also. Um, again, you mentioned clean air. We know China needs that, and I think they know it. But right now they have tariffs against our ethanol that doesn't make it fit going into that country. But that could be potentially a billion-gallon market if we could open that up to U.S. exports. Oh, man, a billion gallon market would be huge. And we continue to see demand internationally for other ethanol co-products, particularly uh, dry distillers grains. Chad, do you think those are going to continue to find uh, out of country homes through the remainder of 2022? Yeah, I don't think that'll be a problem. You know, China's kind of been out of the market due to the countervailing duties on DDGs, but other countries have stepped up and you know, are, are eating up the supply. So, I mean, that, that's been a huge uh, thing we have to look out for is with all this new uh, oh, soybean crush coming online in the next few years, there'll be a lot of extra protein on the market. So that's something for uh, farmers to look at. Uh, where is all that protein going to go? Yeah, where's it going to go and how much are we going to get paid for creating it, of course, matters to uh, to farmers' bottom lines. Chad, I want to ask you about a, a, a thing that U.S. Grains Council has, and these are the A-teams, the advisory teams on different topics. You've served in the past, I know, on the value-added advisory team. Can you tell our listeners what the advisory teams do and specifically, how are you looking to add value to American grains that are moving overseas? Sure, the, the action teams... Uh... Yeah, like you said, I served on value added when I first started, and you know that was looking at distillers of grains and and other things that uh, can be produced from corn or our other products, barley and sorghum. And back when I started, we just started talking about ethanol, and then then we started an ethanol uh, division, and so now we do have an ethanol action team also. But we have like Asia A team and uh, Middle East Africa A team. So you get farmers and industry people that belong, delegates that belong to U.S. grains, and they meet twice a year at our two big meetings a year, and then they also have Zoom meetings now to discuss the trade, the potential trade, and what can be done in their regions as far as to entice imports of our products. And on the value-added creation stream, is there any are there any products, I should say, that uh, U.S. Grains Council is working on in countries that you're optimistic about? 
Well, you know, there's there's a lot of things that can be made from ethanol, and you know, all the national corn growers and others are working on developing products. And you know, then our job is to market it. But in other countries, you know, there's windshield washer fluid, different things that are already made made from ethanol. And our job is to find those markets and potential markets and help facilitate, you know, the imports of ethanol to help facilitate the uh, to fill the market space. I should say. Well, that makes sense. Uh, Chad, before we let you go, I also know you had the chance to hear from Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack at your winter meeting. What was he presenting on and what thoughts did he have about the ag sector and the space, particularly for exports, as we look out to this year ahead? Well, just that they are, you know, going to be pursuing all the help they can give us, I should say, as far as working with exporting and uh, it, it, it was an upbeat message. Matter of fact, I just heard a video clip. I'm down at RFA here in New Orleans, and he just was talking about uh, ethanol and ethanol exports and, and new uses like aviation fuel potential. So uh, there's a lot of hope in the future. Well, that's good to hear. And I guess since you're at the RFA meeting, the, the National Ethanol Conference, let's talk. What's the attitude down there? Is there upbeat folks running around in New Orleans right now looking at the ethanol industry? Well, there are. I have not attended one of these for a few years, but uh, just to get back together with the people I used to hang out with in the ethanol industry, it's been great. But a lot of a lot of upbeat, yes, as you say, and and uh, you know, looking when I got up to come up to do this interview, they were talking about aviation fuel and the potential pathway for ethanol, and so it's very exciting times. We know there's a lot of talk about electric vehicles, but what can we do to bridge that gap and to stay relevant in the petroleum market or in the liquid fuel market, I should say. Yeah, exactly. Liquid fuels, it sounds like are going to be here to stay, but those EVs are coming strong. Chad, before we let you go, uh, U.S. Grains Council puts out a lot of helpful reports on grain exports throughout the year. If any of our listeners want to keep up to speed, where can they go to stay in touch with what U.S. Grains Council is working on? Uh, they can probably go to the website, usgrains.org, and, and uh, look around there and find find what we're doing. There's a lot of great information on there. There is, folks. International trade certainly matters to agriculture. Puts dollars in our pocket. Thanks to Chad Willis for keeping those doors of international trade open. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And folks, stick around. When we return, Kevin Kim of OCP North America will join me. We're going to take a look at phosphate fertilizer and the tariffs that's impacting that market. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here on this Wednesday, get a feel for where things stand. We see that a lot of uh, a lot of traders are keeping a very close eye, of course, on the Russia-Ukraine situation, and it appears that maybe there's a little bit of settling down here in the market trade from all the news about Russian troops moving into Ukraine after we saw some pretty hefty buying on Tuesday's uh, action after we came back from the three-day holiday weekend. We saw soybeans, the soy complex, higher overnight, and that's going to start that way here this morning. We're 
quarter and wheat just lightly mixed to lower here uh, in the uh, overnight trade and starting this morning. As quarter wheat, of course, going to be greatly affected by what does happen in the Black Sea region as both Russia and Ukraine, big uh, producers of wheat and or corn in Ukraine. European leaders, the U.S. responded with sanctions against Russia on Tuesday. It remains to be seen what Russian forces intend to do, and it remains to be seen what uh, these sanctions ultimately do to the markets. Could it impact uh, our markets here uh, across the country and abroad on the stocks and the financial side. It'll be interesting to see what happens. We see the Dow Jones trading up just a little bit here to start this morning. We saw Asian markets mixed here uh, through the overnight trade and European markets were higher uh, with spot futures of the London FTSE 100 trading up 0.5%. On China's Dalian Exchange in the overnight, we saw May corn a little higher, May beans were up a little bit, May bean meal, May was also higher with May soybean oil down just a bit and May Malaysia palm oil was trading up 2.4% throughout the trade in the overnight session. So we'll see how that parlays into our markets today. Quick peek of numbers here at the open beans. Soy complex trading up moderately, quarter of wheat down just slightly with livestock futures mixed. That's a quick look at our market action. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA here on this Wednesday, February 23rd. For the past two years, there has been a discussion happening at the highest level of government about phosphate fertilizers. This discussion has been going on since 2020. We've seen tariffs put into place. We've seen the price of fertilizer go crazy over the past year. Well, we're going to talk about what is happening in that space. Joining me for this segment is Kevin Kim. He's the Chief Growth Officer for OCP North America. Kevin, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks, Mike. I look forward to it. Before we dive into the tariff and the fertilizer issue, for folks who maybe aren't familiar with the name OCP, even if it doesn't ring a bell, they've probably used some of your products. Bring us up to speed. What is OCP? Absolutely. OCP is one of the world's largest phosphate producers located in Morocco. Um, it's been a great uh, ally to the United States for many years and uh, with over 400 years of uh, reserves. We market in over five uh, continents and deliver uh, the highest quality phosphates globally. All right. And you and Mosaic, or I should say OCP and Mosaic have been in a tiff about phosphates. Mosaic has sought a tariff and it was added. Can you talk to us about the timeline? When did this discussion start happening and when did the tariffs on Moroccan and Russian phosphates really go into effect? Yeah, so, so uh, Mike, basically in 2020 is when the uh, case began. In 2021, the tariffs went into place uh, for Morocco at about 19.97% for imports, which has really affected, you know, the U.S. farmer in regards to uh, viable imports of high-quality phosphate products. And the U.S. market needs imports uh, to uh, have reliable supply for the farmers in the fall and the spring. When we think about the needs of the American farmer in particular, Kevin, talk to us about how much phosphate is consumed in the American um, environment, in the American ag space. This is a lot of phosphate that we are discussing on a year-to-year -year basis, isn't it? Uh, 
Absolutely. It'll range anywhere from uh, $8 million to uh, 8.7 million metric tons a year for the North American market. So significant. And as we know as farmers, and, you know, I had the pleasure of growing up in a farming operation in Iowa. We still have the operation active today. So I understand what the, the farmers are going through with the higher input costs, reliable supply. And it's a needed global import for our U.S. farmers to compete with Brazil farmers and produce the highest quality crops possible. And so with that being the case, the Department of Commerce put that nearly 20%, 19.97% tariff on Moroccan phosphate. That went into effect in April. Kevin, as you think about OCP shipments out of Morocco to this country, did you notice a, a decline in purchases after that 20% price hike was put into effect? You know, absolutely. A significant decline. It's just not obviously feasible to bring product in uh, to the U.S. market with that type of a tariff. And supplies have shifted to other parts of the world, such as Brazil, such as India, such as Africa, etc. We're committed to the U.S. farmer, and we're currently uh, appealing the process with great support from National Corn Growers, Soybean Association, Ag Retail Association, and many senators and congressmen to open up uh, the trade flows for reliable supply re-entering the U.S. market. When we think back to why these tariffs were put into place, Kevin, we started to see this process in 2000. What was it that prompted Mosaic to claim that uh, the Moroccan government was subsidizing OCP to an extent that they were losing money? What was the, the market factors in place at the time? We add to the market factors in 2018, 2019, and obviously this is a memory uh, very uh, clear to farmers. We've seen very significant um, uh, rainfall. We've seen congestion. We've seen lower application rates, and and really that was um, um, you know kind of the focus. Um, you know, Morocco has been a reliable U.S. phosphate importer for many years. Uh, very stable. We've got great relationships with the ag retailers and the farming community, uh, bringing uh, products. Now, one of the things that gets expressed when we're talking about these tariffs, the, the the claim that is often made is that the Moroccan government is subsidizing OCP, and that's driving their price down, which makes them uncompetitive with, in this example, mosaic production here in the U.S. Is that completely unfounded? Are there similarities between the way that mosaic and OCP both operate in the international markets? You know, absolutely. It's unfounded, and there's great similarities. It's a global market, and uh, Mosaic exports, you know, up to almost half of their U.S. production into Brazil and other markets. Uh, Morocco, we uh, obviously export and import product previously in the United States and the other continents and to ensure that there's reliable supply. And really, if I was a farmer today, I'd really ask you to go to um, a site, standwithusfarmers.com. And there's a tremendous amount of information about this uh, case, uh, information of who's supporting it with U.S. senators and ag, uh, you know, communities. And it's a really great opportunity to, you know, go to standwithusfarmers.com to learn more. Kevin, once these tariffs go into effect, what's the process like to get them removed or moderated? What's the timeline look like for maybe seeing some, some price assistance to the U.S. farmer on the phosphate issue? That's a great question, Mike. You know, uh, as the tariffs went in place, they're up to five years, and then there's another review process. There's also appeal processes, and, and we're uh, supporting the U.S. farmer, and we've appealed this case um, to, you know, open back up reliable supply of phosphates into the U.S. market by Morocco. So we could hear something as early as uh, this summer. It could take uh, longer. But I think what's important is the U.S. farmers can have a voice to ensure that they've got reliable supply and less pressure on their input uh, utilization from a cost perspective. Yeah, those costs are something else, certainly making some producers' head spins. Kevin, while we've got you on the line, you are the Chief Growth Officer for OCP North America. We're having the discussion about planted acreage looking ahead to 2022. As you think about the growth of phosphate demand domestically in North America, where do you see it headed as we look out under this administration, the focus on climate smart farming? What's the outlook for phosphate fertilizer here over the next several years? We see uh, the phosphate fertilizer market uh, continuing to grow. Um, as we have more technologies, farmers are becoming much more 
uh, focused on the, the right application rates of phosphates at the right time and in the right place. So we see a very consistent growth market. And more importantly, crop nutrition and soil health is, is really kind of the key element. And when you look at up to 60 to 65% of yield for the farmer comes below the ground in the dirt and the soil health, that's really our focus to provide high-quality phosphates and other uh, nutrients uh, for the U.S. farmers. Kevin, as you think about uh, sort of the the import demand going forward, obviously we do not have the phosphate production here in this country to satisfy demands. As you think about global producers around the world, certainly Russia, Morocco, the U.S., those are the big players. Who else is coming online? Obviously, these prices have to be incentivizing phosphate producers globally to look at some perhaps harder to access areas. Do you see this price move to the upside as uh, generally bringing more supply on the market in coming years? That's a great question, you know, Mike. You know, there will have to be additional supply coming into the market in years to come because of the global growth. As we see significant growth in the India uh, continent, we in the country as well as Africa, uh, continued growth in Brazil. We're going to have to see that. You know, if you take a look at Russia, um, if you take a look at China, and you take a look at Morocco, and then Mosaic, and then Modern, those are your your big players that produce phosphates. And the only entities that actually can utilize imports at this point in time is, is um, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and Mosaic. So that's why opening up uh, the opportunity for consistent supply is really critical to the U.S. farmer. It is. Now, let's say that OCP is successful in appealing this tariff. It comes around to summer. The Department of Commerce rolls it back. We see that 20% tariff come off. At that point, Kevin, tariffs are gone. Do we see phosphate fertilizer prices just collapse or these elevated prices are going to be with us for the foreseeable future? I think it will take, you know, obviously it's a global S&D, so the demand is is important. Um, I think we'll see less pressure in the United States with reliable, consistent supply where there's times you have constraints, you've got uh, hurricanes, you've got uh, mother nature issues. Having consistent, reliable supply takes the pressure off the ag retailer to supply their farmer. Indeed. And of course, you know, we've we've mentioned Russia several times in this conversation. We've heard Russia in the headlines here a lot as they have been uh, ratcheting up tensions there with their neighbor Ukraine. Kevin, if things bullets start to fly over there or, or international community starts to put on tighter sanctions, what could that do? How would you interpret that move looking at it from the perspective of phosphate fertilizers? That's a great uh, question, Mike, and it's a very unfortunate situation in Ukraine uh, currently. I would say it really depends on what the sanctions are by each country, and uh, which could, could create the inability for Russia to export into other countries besides the U.S., which would put uh, added stress on the, the global market, something we're watching closely. Uh, what we're focused on as OCP from a global perspective is ensuring that we've got uh, adequate supply uh, to export into the needed uh, countries. And once that supply gets to the U.S., uh, Kevin, are you anticipating any supply chain problems in getting those phosphates into the hands of the farmer at the end of the supply chain? You know, Mike, that's a, that's a great question. You know, we've actually, I think, done a very good job of uh, working with the supply chain, and uh, a lot of things have corrected since uh, we've seen the COVID issues. So we feel that we've got a very reliable supply chain uh, when farmers plan in advance, and uh, there obviously retailers can bring in the product in advance to ensure it's there for their, their needed time in the spring or the fall application seasons. Absolutely. Communication with those retailers. I've heard that from everybody this year, folks. Be early, be aggressive in talking to those folks. Make sure you've got what you need. Kevin Kim, the Chief Growth Officer with OCP North America, talking about the tariffs on phosphate fertilizers from Morocco. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. When we return, we'll talk to Dwayne Bussey about the markets and the volatility we're seeing. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike. Block, 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves, if you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. Oh, yesterday we talked markets with our friend Garrett Toy. And, you know, we were talking about the corn market. and It was up a little bit when Garrett and I had the chance to have our conversation. And then as the day went on, the corn market went really absolutely crazy. We saw new contract highs set in the December contract to help us make sense of all of the volatility that's been happening recently. Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota joins us today. Dwayne, did you get all dug out from the snow? <laughs> yeah, we did. It was a little bit later night last night than I'd l like to uh, normally have, but uh, the wind kept blowing and the snow kept coming, so we had to wait for a while and got dug out. I, it was one of those we had so much wind, I have no clue how to tell you how much snow we got, but I know there were some really big drifts in, in certain piles and other spots there was nothing, but we're dug out now and, and now just bitterly cold, but the sun's out, so we'll, we'll have better days ahead. <laughs> Well, there you go. The sun's out. The sun was out yesterday in the corn market, Dwayne. We saw that incredible rally yesterday afternoon. What happened in corn? It really goes back to the Ukraine-Russia situation. And and I know, I'm sure a lot of listeners out there go, what, what does that have to do with my corn, wheat, or soybeans in the U.S.? And you know, fundamentals kind of got shoved aside maybe just a little bit. Uh, and this market is, is bullish right now. And, and sometimes in a bullish market, uncertainty equals just more buying and higher prices. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. now. Now, when you think about it back to 2014, when Russia invaded Ukraine then and, and to, ended up taking Crimea, there was concerns from Ukrainian farmers that maybe they won't even plant the wheat because they didn't even know if they would own their land later in the year because there was talk then, too, that Russia would just take all of Ukraine. So there's a little bit of that going around that, gosh, if, if Russia and Ukraine you know, aren't planting as much wheat or if Ukraine isn't planting as much wheat, will there be as much wheat in the world a year from now? I, it's, it sounds maybe a little crazy, but it's just uncertainty. And like I said right now, that equals higher prices. It does. Uncertainty and risk can create some selling opportunities. Old crop corn dancing around that 675 mark. Dwayne, is this a time to get some unloaded? <laughs> I, I know the correct answer is to say yes, go ahead, but I'm still a holder of my own uh, old crop corn, so I, I guess I, I better be honest and say no, I don't think so yet. I, I think... I understand if you if you look at a spreadsheet and profitability, you're going to say, oh, my gosh, of course you sell. But I think there's something else going on here, and I think there's going to be an acreage battle here in a couple of weeks that, that should be bullish this market. So uh, instead of looking at my spreadsheet, which I know I'm supposed to, I, I'm going to just kind of sell off of some seasonal tendencies this year and, and get about one month from here, and then I'm going to be selling that old crop corn pretty hard. But I, I think we can see a seven on it first. Ooh, $7 corn potential. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, let's talk new crop. You mentioned that acreage battle might be coming. $6 corn, December contract right now. Is this enough to, to buy corn the 91 million acres that the trade's expecting right now? Or are we going to have to see that December number continue to climb? Oh, I think it's already bought the acres, and that's why a month from now I probably will be flipping and selling hard. Actually, what we're hearing in the Midwest is more corn acres, maybe some corn on corn in areas. And the reason being is guys are seeing what you just mentioned, Mike, $6 Dece corn, and they almost don't really even care what the price of November beans or spring wheat is. They, they want to grow the corn, and $6 works on any balance sheet they've got. So, uh, you know, even though fertilizer prices are high, they, they're telling us right now that they're planting the corn. So look for maybe a bearish March 31st planning intentions report and higher corn acres. And, and then, of course, then the market's job will be to adjust after that. It certainly will. On the soybean side, we are seeing those November new crop beans up uh, today. We're up almost a dime here on the markets today. Dwayne, what are you watching here for new crop bean sales before you want to price levels before you get some sales on? Yeah, I, I'm actually just kind of watching the trade action. Uh, sounds kind of funny, but this trade action just seems so bullish. It just seems like every small story, or like we mentioned here just a second ago, even uncertainty equals higher prices right now. Until that changes, I'm just holding off on any more sales. I did make a, a small new crop soybean sale so far this year, so I'll be honest there. And of course, that seems like that was like 
a dollar ago or two dollars ago and markets moving quickly but i know they're great prices and if somebody's looking at their spreadsheet and wants to sell absolutely go for it and i'll help them with some risk management tools but the trader in me mike just says there's more to come on this stuff yet and so Dwayne, right there you said you're going to be watching for this market to have a little bit less bullish bias are you going to pick that up watching the moves i mean old crops up 26 cents obviously that market is fired up today are you going to be waiting until you see smaller moves to the upside before you pull the trigger is that how you're going to know that this thing's getting a little toppy yeah a combination of two things all of a sudden you know bullish news doesn't make the market run up as high as it did a week ago or like you said the uncertainty actually starts to equal the market going down 10 cents on a day. And by waiting and not scale up selling, I have to do what I think is the most difficult in marketing is actually sell on a down day. So, you know, one day I hear no news, but we're down 20 cents. That would be an indication that the market's topped. And then, you know, every farmer says the same thing, right? Okay, I'll sell now once we get back up to the highs, and you can't do that. You're going to have to sell on that down 20 day. Just go ahead, take your medicine, swallow that pill, and get it sold. Dwayne, looking over at the livestock market, we're seeing the hog complex pull back today, triple digits. Did anything yeah. change in hogs, or is this an indication of maybe just an overbought market running out of steam? I think it's the latter there. I think it's that overbought market and a huge premium to the cash. So we're pulling back a little bit here. But from what I've seen so far, the cash market's still on fire, too. So we'll have to wait for the mid day updates on that cash market to see if they're still rocketing higher. I look at it as a temporary pullback and another very bullish market that, I don't know, feels like it might have to go test old contract highs and, and maybe make uh, new highs. I, I don't know. It's just on fire. Right now, we just don't have the inventory there in the U.S. and the cash market's on fire. So just keep it simple and follow that until it doesn't, right? Yeah, it works until it doesn't. Dwayne, I'm hearing cash cattle bids 144, 145. Have we heard any trades so far this week? The only trade I saw yesterday was on the lighter side of that, around the, the 142 area, and that was very light, just a few cleanup sales. It might be hard for us to get that 145 this week that feedlots want because, of course, the, the cutouts are actually drifting lower. Right now, we actually got select above choice. Not, not exactly a bullish sign. No, it isn't. We'll continue to keep an eye on those markets. Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Folks, tune in to AOA on Thursday. We'll talk to Maria Ziba about the potentiality of the U.S. rejoining the CPTPP, and Arlen Suderman will help us break down the markets. Tune in on Thursday to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.